God. It's good to remember his promises and be like, yes, God, I'm so glad that your word says you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, think about in the context. You read some of the amazing stories from the Bible and everybody goes, oh, that was a nice story. And I go, no, if he did it for them, he'll do it for me. You know, he hasn't stopped showing up in people's lives. He hasn't stopped fulfilling the promises that he has given. They are still just as real for you today as they were when they were spoken the Bible. So you might as well go ahead and get your insight in, get yourself stirred up, get, get your amens going, because we're going to have a fun time this morning as we continue on in our series on the Holy Spirit. I think this is week number 25 now, so we've officially we've made it like half the year through uh, of spending just on the Holy Spirit, and uh, we're going to be coming in for a landing in a bit, but man, there's just so much about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He's for you. The Bible talks so much about the Holy Spirit because it was God's gift to you. Jesus said, it's a good thing that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. And we can say, oh, it'd be so nice if Jesus walked in the room. Oh, yeah, it would be. But the Holy Spirit's already here. If you've received his infilling, he's already here and present with you. And so for the last three weeks, we've been talking about the perfecting of the Holy Spirit and his job in making you better. Crickets, 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 crickets. <laughs> and we expect that when we talk about this because most people don't like the idea of change until we're forced to. We abide with Jesus and we live out of our relationship. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts and he makes a better version of you. Why is that a good thing? Paul could use a better version of me. And guess what? The world could use a better version of you. He will perfect your attitudes. He will perfect your actions. He will perfect your motivations, and that's what the world needs. We need more Christians that are motivated out of God's actions and attitudes than our actions and attitudes. Come on, we know we've all had stinking attitudes at one point. Maybe you walked in here this morning with a bad attitude because of everything that you faced this week. Here's an opportunity. You get to choose your attitude. You get to choose whether or not you're going to stay in a funky monkey mood. Come on, I'm a father of four boys. I get a lot of attitude out of them. And this last night when we were, one of them was going to bed, I won't name which one, uh, he was giving us a lot of attitude. And so the, the first thing this morning, he came up the stairs and he gave me his big morning hug. And as we were talking, I just in a better, better attitude this morning. He's like, don't talk about it. I'm like, even he knew that it was a bad attitude. And a lot of times we're like that. You know, we know our attitude sucks, but we're unwilling to change it. Oh, come on. Yeah. Come on, the Holy Spirit will work on you, perfecting you, making a better version of you. You are not living your best version today, but the Holy Spirit will work in you and so that you're a little bit better tomorrow. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. And so you can find your way back over to John chapter 15 again this week. John chapter 15. And this week I'm going to be reading it out of the Passion Translation because I think it's good just to have a little bit of a different perspective and, and a little bit different wording so that things get pulled. It was amazing. A couple years ago when I was in Greece, I was talking with some Christians there and uh, the one guy said to me, he's like, he's like, you know, I love to read the Bible out of English. He's like, because it just gives a little bit of different perspective and it forces me to have to think about what I'm reading. And I said, you know, that's hilarious because we as North American Christians, we often like are pulling up the Greek words and being like, okay, what does it mean in the Greek? What was the original intention? And here are people that read it in the original language saying, you know, sometimes it's good for me to have a different perspective and look at it from English. And I thought, oh, that's just so funny how whatever you are, you just treat as, treat as normal, right? You know, you get used to what you do, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit, you know, giving us a little poke and a little prod every once in a while, being like, okay, you've settled. You've gotten used to where you are. Come on, let's grow again. Yes. Come on, let's grow again. Yes. And so in John chapter 51, in the Passion Translation, it says, I am the true sprouting vine. This is Jesus speaking, and he's saying of himself, I am the true sprouting vine. 
Think about this for a second. If he is the true sprouting vine, what does that also mean? That means that there's other false vines that bring the appearance of production that you can attach yourself to, to that will seem good at the moment, but are not the true sprouting vines. Okay, come on. Yeah. come on. We all know that there's a lot of things out there that we can give our time to, right? There's a lot of things that we can give our attention to, and it will be enjoyable for a season. Come on, the Bible says that even sin is enjoyable for a season, right? Right, but here he's saying that I am the true sprouting vine, which means that you're going to have options of what you can attach yourself to. Come on, if we're talking about abiding in God, this is not just about coming to church and attending church. Because if we look at statistics, you know, most people come to church once a month now. That's, that's the statistic. Christians, people who say, God, you are my everything and I give my life to you and I'll give you one Sunday for an hour a month. So we're not talking about when we're talking about abiding in God that we're talking about church attendance. We're talking about you can live out of God every moment of every day. Come on. And that's what your want-tos are. You know, if, you, if we begin as Christians to stir up our hearts back towards Jesus again and bring ourselves back to the, to the remembering why we got into this to be with him, man, you don't, why would you not want to go to church and worship with believers? Why would you not want to be in communion and fellowship with, with your brothers and sisters in Christ daily? Because that's what happened when they got on fire for Jesus in, in the book of Acts. It says they came daily and they gathered. And so there's obviously, there's a heart thing going on if we're saying, I, I can only make it maybe once. Once in a month, or once every six weeks, or, you know, whatever. We're not here to critique your church, church attendance. We're talking about heart matters. Why does your heart allow you to do that? Because in the end, we do what we want to do. That's right. Come on. We do what we want to do. We make a priority what we set as the priority. And so Jesus is the true sprouting vine. Attach yourself to him. It says, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. So the father's job is to promote plant growth. Come on. Isn't that what we do? We, we put a plant in a garden in a position where it is optimized for growth. Every year we do a vegetable garden and we lay out a plan and we're like, okay, here's where the tomatoes so that they have the right amount of sun coming here. Oh, here's a little more shady position. Let's put the spinach there. That's a little better in the shade. And we put it in a position where it is optimized for growth. Your heavenly father is no different. He will draw you into places where he can bring out the optimal growth and production in you. The Father tends the garden. And he's a good father. We need to view God more as the gardener and less as the angry one on the throne. Come on. Because that creates walls up in front that says, well, you know, I, I'm really not sure if I want to go before God. I don't know what I'm going to get out of him. Come on, religion paints that picture of God that says that he's angry with you, that he, he you know, you just got to watch how you talk and you got to watch how you do it. That's, that's not what God is. He's the farmer. He's the gardener. A farmer puts seed in the ground with the anticipation that there's going to be growth in a harvest, right? God plants you in this, in this life where he has an anticipation of growth and production in you. So we go right on to the next verse where it says, He cares for the branches. The gardener who has placed you in your position, he cares for you as a branch attached to the vine. And it says that he cares for the branches that are connected to me by lifting up and propping up the fruitless branches. Why does he do that? You know that plants don't grow really well when they're on the dirt? What do they do with vines? If that's the analogy that God is using here, what do they do with vines? They tie them up, up out of the dirt. Because what happens when do that? They get better exposure to the sun, and they grow grapes. And so what God will do with a fruitless branch is he will change your position. He will pick you up out of the dirt. He will dust the dirt off. 
He will tie you up in a position where you are streamlined for growth and production. And so he cares for the branches that are connected to him. And God cares deeply and intimately for each one of us. Come on, say that. God cares for me. He cares deeply and intimately about each and every one of us, and he props us up. It's kind of like that child, you know, when, the, when they're young, they're on their feet. And I was thinking, it was, I think it was Bennett. He always seemed to be like, and it, he'd try to go so fast, but he didn't have the proper technique down, and it always ended up with him like smearing himself through the dirt. And what would you do? You pick the kid up, and you dust the dirt off. And you say, run again. <laughs> Heavenly Father's no different. You may have fallen a thousand times. He's still got another moment where he's going to go pick you up, yeah. dust you off, you, say run again. So he props up the fruitless branches. And he prunes every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. Everyone say greater harvest. Yeah. So what does that mean? It means that yesterday's growth is not enough. Yesterday's accomplishments are not enough. Yesterday's victories are not enough because he's not about you being fruitful once. He's saying, I'm going to prune things so you can have greater harvest now. And so each and every day, we have to choose to say, God, yesterday was great. Man, I just can't wait to see you outdo it today. Yes. Come on. As Pastor Rob, Jessica already said, Pastor Robin likes to say it just gets gooder and gooder. It gets gooder and gooder. And so you may have been fruitful in the past, but we don't live in the past. We live in today. And so today, my choice is to choose growth. My choice is to choose new victories today. My choice is to choose new accomplishments and new things that will just amaze me and say, God, I didn't know you could get it any better. But as we choose Him, we choose life. And we choose life more abundantly. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, I've come that you would have life and life abundantly. And so even the ones that produces, he prunes for, everyone say it again with me, greater harvest. Verse 3 goes on, he says, in the words that I have spoken over you, they have already cleansed you. I love that because he reminds his disciples here. He's like, guys, you're already clean. I've already spoken over you. Uh, we, we need to remember the work that the blood of Jesus did on our behalf. It was a good work. It was an enduring work. He's not talking about your eternal salvation here in John 15. He's talking about your kingdom fruitfulness while you're here on this earth. And the sadity is some Christians will never do anything in their lifetime and some will produce much. But it's the choice that he gives us when he says, abide in the vine and you'll bear much fruit. He never forces us to. Verse 4, he says, So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. And we're probably more familiar with it out of the New King James or King James, where it says, Abide in me and I in you. And when he says abide, it's the Greek word meno, which means remain in me. Don't depart to continue in or to re main as one and that's exactly what jesus goes on to pray two chapters later in the same long conversation from chapter 13 14 15 16 and 17 he gets into 17 he says father make them one with us just as you and i are one and so here when Je when jesus is telling his disciples abide in me he's saying remain remain as one meaning keep the connection solid choose to become that unit that works together you know you think about it on on different job sites you have a that a, 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 is a little more green and they've just started working together you know there's lots of mistakes and things start to they take a little bit longer but what happens when you have a group of people who have worked together for a long time and they know the job what happens they become more productive and more fruitful as they've remained together
It's just like when we in the army where we take people and we put them in platoons of people and they train together. They work together day in and day out so that that unit begins to work and move as one. It's the same imagery here that Jesus is saying to his disciples. He's like, come on, get to know me. Stay, let's work together on a daily basis because we work better together than we do when we're separate. Yes. Amen? But there's also something here in verse number four that we often miss. He says, you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. He says, you stay with me because I've already choice. I'm staying with you. Why, why is that important to point out? Because we have this idea within Christianity that if I could just do this thing here, then God will come and take hold with me. That he'll come and be involved and in part. But the reality is he's already here. Mm-hmm. What, what are we going to do? What are we going to do today? You know, <laughs> our, our, I, I'm already here and I'm already present. You know, I, I chose, I said, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. And so when he says, I'm already remaining in life with you, will you remain with me? What he's saying is that I promise to be an active participant in this relationship. Do you? Man, that, that's the choice. And the entire Bible is predicated on choice, is it not? In the beginning, it was the choice. You know, don't eat of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. They had the choice and they chose to eat. The, the relationship with Jesus is that choice. Do you want to return? And you make that choice. And now the choice that continues, do you want to participate with me in this life and in this relationship? I'll participate with you, but do you want to participate with me? Because he'll never do it without you. Because you got to realize it was all about you. You were the joy that was set before him that caused him to endure the cross. He's saying, I'll participate. But most Christians begin their relationships with excitement and exuberance. Come on. People often find me a little bit too excitable. I would rather be excitable than bored. Come on. I would rather bring energy and excitement because I love God and I love the things that he's written and that he's said about me. I want to participate. I would rather bring that excitement and that exuberance. And most people, when they step into Jesus and they they start that relationship with him, they come with that excitement and they're so happy about it, but then you see them down the road and it's kind of like, oh, this is such a good worship song. I really want to go get my roast out of the oven. You know, and it's just it's that excitement seems to have worn off. Man, most Christians, they, they more closely resemble a tombstone of remembrance rather than a life-filled relationship. And they look back and like, oh yeah, it was good in the 1970s or the 1980s. Come on, how about it let it be good today? Man, we have to remember the promises of God and be excited about them. Man, I love what, what Mark Hankins says. He says, expectation is the breeding ground of miracles. You come to church and you expect nothing, you get nothing. <laughs> come on. Because the reality is we can be having a great time and you being like, oh my goodness, is this almost over? And that's the reality of if we go to every church around the world right now, there will be people that are having the best time and so excited about it and other people that are completely bored. Why? Because they've stopped that connection. And he's saying, I'll participate. Do you want to participate? So we got to remember the promises and be excited about them. You know, I like to read through old sermons from people who have been long dead and to see what other people have been preaching because not everybody was alive when they had cassette tapes to make tapes or CDs or DVDs or MP3s. And so the other day I was re- reading through some old Charles Spurgeon messages and I came across this simple one that just made me so happy as I read it. And it's, he entitled it, Do As Thou Hast Said, and it was preached in 1856. And uh, he was preaching out of 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 25, which says, Now, Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning this house, establish it forever and do as thou said. 
And he went on to say, he said, God pro- God's promises were never meant to be thrown aside as waste paper. Come on, think about that. God's promises were not meant to be like, oh, that's nice. He says, he intended that they should be used. God is not miser's money, but is minted to be traded with. Nothing pleases our Lord better than to see his promises put into circulation. He loves to see his children bring them up to him and say, Lord, do as you have said. (laughs) We glorify God when we plead his promises. Do you think that God will be any less poorer for giving you the riches he has promised? Oh, come on. He says, do you dream that he will be any less holy for giving holiness to you? Do you imagine he will be any less pure for washing from your sins? He has said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's Isaiah 1.18. It says, faith lays hold of the promise of pardon. It does not delay saying, this is a precious promise. I wonder if it's true. I love that. Because <laughs> we often do that. We hear about the things that we preach about the goodness of God and, and, and what he says that is possible for you. And we go, oh, that's nice. But I don't believe it's true. <laughs> he says, but faith goes straight to the throne with it. Pleads, Lord, here is the promise. Do as thou hast said. And our Lord replies, be it unto you even as thou wilt. When a Christian grasps a promise, if he does not take it to God, he dishonors him. But when he hastens to the throne of grace and cries, Lord, I have nothing to recommend me but this, you have said it, then your desire shall be degranted. Every banker delights to cash his own notes. Never let the promise rust. Draw the sword of promise out of its scabbard and use it with holy violence. And think not to be troubled by your violence. Not, not that God will be troubled by your importunately reminding him of his promises. He loves to hear the loud outcry of needy souls. It is his delight to bestow favors, and he is more ready to hear than you are to ask. The sun is not weary of shining, nor the fountain of flowing. It is God's nature to keep his promises. Therefore, go at once to the throne with this petition. Do as thou hast said. Come on. God wants you to take the things that he has said in the word and come before him and say, God, you said if I abide in you that you would prune me, you would perfect me. God, you said to come boldly before before your throne of grace and there I'll find help in my time of need. He he wants a life-giving, active relationship that flows through us on a daily basis. We, we need to go back to God and say, do as thou have said, just as you have promised, so let it be in my life. As we've already said, he said that I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. You know, when we think about it, most Christians more accurately resembling tombstones of remembrance, that's something he said of the religious, not the life-filled Christians. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which in here beautifully but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. So our relationships with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit should be in a constant state of renewal and refreshment. Here's some good advice. Don't ever settle down. Let there be an excitement rise up from the wells of salvation. Draw from the joy. Draw from the promises. Draw from that excitement. Don't ever settle down. That's exactly what Pastor Robin, when he got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, he was in his church, he was excited, he was doing great things, and some old guy came and said, oh, it's okay, sonny, you'll settle down. No, don't settle down. Let the fire burn. Let there be such an excitement in your life. People who settle down in the things of God don't speak of a life-giving relationship. They more actively reflect something that Jesus said about a stony heart. 
In Matthew chapter 13, verse 20, in this parable of the sower, he says, But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word, and he immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, and he endures only for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. He received it with joy, but as soon as a little bit of pressure came, he crumbled. And the thorny, thorny heart says, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes, and say it with me, unfruitful. And what did Jesus say? He said, abide in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. So we don't let our hearts become hardened. We don't let them get healthy and prickly. we got enough prickly Christians. We need a few more excited Christians in the body of Christ this day. People who are like, hey, I don't care if you think I look like a crazy person. I'd rather be crazy for God than boring. And it says, but he who's received the word on good ground is he who hears the word, he understands it, who indeed, everyone say it with me, bears fruit and produces some hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. So we keep our hearts tender. We keep our hearts open. We keep our hearts excited about the things of God. Why should you be excited? You woke up this morning and you had breath in your lungs. That's something to be thankful for. That's something to be grateful for. You had a roof over your head. You had food to put in your belly. There's people in this world that didn't have that this morning. That's enough to be excited. Guess what? When you pass on from this earth, you're going to go into the arms of Jesus and spend forever with Him. In eternity, that's enough to be excited about. That's enough to be uh, have a joy arise up out of the inside of you. But how much? What about all those other people around? They need to see some excited Christians. They need to be reminded that this is a life-filled thing. Because verse four goes on to say in chapter fifteen of John: "For as a branch severed from the vine won't bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless." unless you live intimately joined to mine. He says, I am the sprouting vine, and you're my branches. And as you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. You know, Paul said it a little bit differently when he was talking to the Colossians. He says, as you have therefore received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. As another translation says, continue that way. Man, if we think back to when we got saved, go back and have that excitement again. Have that expectancy again. Because he says, as you started, continue. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Man, thankfulness will bring your heart close to God. Come on, think about it for a second. Thankfulness will bring your heart close to God. Unthankful people are often the most miserable people you will meet. Thankful people, they're constantly in remembrance of, man, look what God has done for me. Look where I've come from. Look where I was and look where I am now. And we just had American Thanksgiving has just passed a week or two ago. And it's awesome because right around this time every year, they release new studies that they've done on thankfulness and to remind us how good it is to be thankful. And, you know, as I was reading through different ones, I was like, oh, this is really great. But I came across one where they said, you know, as simply as keeping a journal and writing for two minutes a day increased your joy in life by over 10%. Just by sitting there going... Well, I'm thankful that this happened, and I'm thankful for this. Come on. Thankfulness changes your perspective. It changes your perception. When was the last time you stopped and actually did say, God, I am thank you that I'm alive today? Thankful that you sent Jesus for me. I'm thankful for this and this and this, and just to remind ourselves how good he actually is. 
The reality is we all experience hardship in our lives. Everybody. But does hardship have you is the difference. It's an opportunity for us to lean into our relationship and not back off. That's why Paul told Timothy, the young leader, in, when he was giving him wisdom, he says, therefore I remind you, you stir up the gift of God. You know what he didn't say to, Pete, to, to Timothy? Others are going to come and stir you. <laughs> Others are going to come and make sure that you're not on your face, Timothy. They'll come and they'll be like, oh, I know you've had a hard day. It's been a rough life, hasn't it? Here, would you like a little tissue? This is why he's so good father right here in front of you. I can pick on him and he's not going to say anything. <laughs> oh, Timothy, don't worry. It's okay. It's been rough. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> no, he said, you stir it up, Timothy. You stir it up. And that, that's what David did. He said, he said, I encourage myself in the Lord. Why? Because there's going to be days where you ain't got nobody else around. So you better learn to stir your own heart and bring your own happiness and your own joy to draw the wells of salvation. He says to Timothy, you stir it up. And you know that this is not the first time he said it to him. It's actually the second time. He told him in the first book he wrote to him in chapter 4, verse 14. He says, don't neglect the gift that is in you, which has been given to you by prophecy and the laying on of hands of the eldership. He said to him, you meditate on these things. What does that mean? Think on them. Rehearse them. Bring them back up. That's what we were talking about, thinking about thankfulness and remembrance. That's meditation. Thinking about the good things he's done. And then you know what else you can do? You can also take the good things that he's promised and meditate on them. Oh God, that you said that you would supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You said that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You said that I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You start rehearsing what he has actually said to about you, and you know, the problems begin to shrink. Because when you realize how big your God is, the size of the problem doesn't matter anymore. So he says, meditate on these things, Timothy. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. He says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. What is that language to referring back to? Jesus said, abide in me, remain in me, stay close to me. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear. Amen? Amen. And so last week, we finally made it to the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. But what we find in Galatians chapter 5 is that the fruit of the Spirit that we like to talk about very much juxtaposed with the works of the flesh. And both the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, they both come from the same idea, is what you focus on is what's going to pour forth out of your life. If you focus on the things of the world, you're going to have anger come out of you. You're going to have dissensions come out of you. You're going to have all of these things the world has to offer. Or, as you walk in the Spirit, it says you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. What will you fulfill? He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, it's peace, it's long-suffering, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control, and against such there is no law. And as we are abiding in the vine, this is what the vine has to offer When the branch is a vine, it feeds on what the vine has to offer. And your vine has nothing but good things to offer. How can love not flow out of a Christian? That's all God's got to give. He is love. How can, how can joy not flow out of a Christian? That's all God is. He's joyful. How can peace not flow out of a Christian? God doesn't know turmoil. And so as we draw from the vine of which we've been attached, these are the things that just naturally flow from us as we abide in Christ. It is not a list to aim for, 
but a natural consequence of proximity. Come on, let's say that again. It's not a list to aim for, but a natural consequence. You know, consequences, we only ever seem to talk about the bad ones. You don't want to do that because you don't want to get this. How about we focus on the good consequences? When you're with God, love flows. You know, you shouldn't have to be told to love. It should just flow out of us. I didn't learn that from a Christian. I learned that actually from an atheist. You know, if, if you have to be told to love by an invisible God, you're not a very good person to begin with. <laughs> Come on. It should be nature to us that it flows out of us. Jesus said this in 1 John, or John writing about Jesus. He said in 1 John chapter 3.16, he says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Why? Because we were watching him. And what he does, we do. He says, but whoever has goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Christians should be givers. If there's a need in the community, we as Christians should be filling it because it's just nature to give. Why? Because God so loved the world, he gave. And as we're in proximity and in relationship and in connection with God, it just flows out of us. He says, my children, let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It should move us to action. And he says, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And so last week we, we hit the question where it says, okay, so what do we do and what don't we do? And I said that's really the wrong question. Because Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. And here he says, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Here's the thing, when you're doing something, how does the Holy Spirit make you feel on the inside? He will draw you towards the things that move God's heart. He will align your heart and transform your heart to be more like God's heart. And if we would just allow our, the Holy Spirit to influence our heart, He will keep us moving in the right direction. If we just stop and say, Holy Spirit, this is what I've got going on in my day. This is what's happening right now. What should I do? And we follow after peace. You won't find yourself fulfilling the works of the flesh or the things of the world. He doesn't know how to lead you to those things. He leads you in his paths of peace. That's why when last week we were talking in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says where the Spirit of the Lord is, and where that Lord is, there is liberty. Where that Spirit is, there is liberty. There's that power of choice. And Paul tells us what his choice was. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So as John says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And then he says this in the next verse, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. When you're abiding in God, getting your prayers answered is not a problem, because your heart and His heart sink it says you you have have not because you ask not and then he says or you ask amiss that you may lavish it upon your lusts you don't ask amiss when you know what the heart of god is your hearts become one as we abide in him and he says and whatever you ask we we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So if we jump back to John 15, he says the same thing there. He says, abide in me, and I abide in you. You will ask what you desire, 
it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Pastor Robin. Condondi bregi si combosho lima sasanamako mila bakila brandi shikila masuta mo kombori tonjitiki masasu buriyatuko lama niyando sesiko chibasa. For life in the spirit is an easy thing. Life in the spirit is just breathing and walking and talking with me. Life in the spirit is not a hard thing, for you were into this. I made you in my image, that you would hear, that you would know, that you would walk, that you would be just like me. And so walking with me is an easy thing to do. Just every breath that you take, all that you have, every concern that you have, share it with me, because I long to have your heart shared with me, so that I could share my heart to you. We are together. We are in union. We are one. I live in you. I walk in you. I dwell in you. I am your God, and you are my people. Amen. Hallelujah. And so he said, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Christianity isn't about what God's trying to get from you. It's about what he's trying to get to you. He said, I, I want you to bear fruit. When you're with me, that's the natural consequence. You bear fruit. And so, Father, we just open our hearts to you right now. Come on, let's just lift up our hands for a moment. Father, we, we just thank you for the opportunity of relationship that you've given to us. That you said you'll remain in life union and connection with us. And so, Father, we choose to remain connected to you. We, we choose to let your things stream into our lives. We choose your position of fruitfulness. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now in just a moment, our, our Word Care team is going to be up here at the front. If there's anything that you need prayer for, don't wait until till you're at home. Go ahead and have someone agree with you and believe with you. If you need prayer for anything, we encourage you just to come up and, and to have time with them. Pastor Robin? It's offering time. Amen. Yes. yes, let's say this together. This is my seed. I sow it in the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best, grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and return. Great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. Abundance of grace in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You are blessed. Amen.